And on this episode of Cutting Through the Noise, I'm joined by Sustainable Salons co-founder Paul Frasca to talk all things sustainable and to take a look at the current market landscape through the lens of an eco-warrior. Thank you so much for joining us on the Cutting Through the Noise podcast. Oh, thanks for having me and uh, thanks for a great intro as well. Jeez, I feel honoured. Well, you know what, you and I have known each other for quite a while now, and I just wanted to share the story because I don't know if you remember how we first met. Do you? No, no. <laughs> we were, um, I get I'm, nervous now. I'm super shy, as many people know. I probably don't appear to be shy from the outside, but me being face-to-face one-on-one with people, I, yeah, it's awful. I have terrible social anxiety doing that. And I'm walking through this car park at Hair Expo. It was the year that it was down at Glebe. Oh, yeah, I remember that year. And it was yeah. like, because it was super noisy and you couldn't put on any educations and people had to wear headsets. Yeah, we all had to wear headsets. And you just kind of came up and introduced yourself and you were like, oh, I've heard of you. You're that social media girl. Um, and everyone used to get me and Hayley Miller mixed up all the time. <laughs> I'm Hayley yeah. Mears. Hayley Miller's like got the got the gorgeous legs. I'm the <laughs> <laughs> Um, and yeah, we just got chatting and you were like, you know what, um, we need to work together. And so we got to work together for quite a few years and I've just, many years. Yeah. I've watched you grow so much and I'd love you to tell everyone a little bit about your career path, your, your hair story. Oh, look, I'll, I'll, I'll give you just a, a, a five-minute snapshot of it because it goes quite deep. Like, um, look, I've started hairdressing super young. I was um, I was literally thrown in a hair salon at the age of 11. My mother really needed to get me out of school because I was quite a um, – um, uh, I was dyslexic. I was I was quite the rebel, drugs, um, you know, caught up in a – quite yeah, caught up in – well, when you're dyslexic, you, you become the rebel because you can't learn, so you just become the class clown. Then you feel like you know you most you're just rebelling against the machine. That's yeah. why most entrepreneurs you read about as well. There a lot of them are dyslexic because you, you came out of this different world of schooling where most people were very good at reading and writing and doing tests. Where I would just fail every test because I couldn't read the question correctly. So I ended up just stopped doing tests. And then that's how the journey goes for a dyslexic person, especially back then because they couldn't recognize it. They just called you dumb. The teacher would be like, "Look, your son's dumb, and we're just going to put him in the special class." And that's what you, and they used to give you, I remember these really big books because they thought you were so, they thought by giving you a bigger book, you could read better. But I'm like, no, I physically, anyway, it was hilarious back then. So that's going back to, you know, the early nineties, even late eighties, let's say. So basically um, from 14, when you could legally leave school back then, um, I was was like literally uh, thrown out of school because I was expelled. And uh, basically uh, my mum was like, well, you're going to go do something. And I was like, well, I'll just do hairdressing. I've kind of got used to it now. You've, you've made me do Thursday nights and Saturdays now for the last three years in Castle Hill uh, at, at a few different salons. I'm kind of liking it. And um, and funny enough, uh, that's that was my journey of how I got into hairdressing. And then um, my mum got me in touch with one of her her, her gay friends in, in Sydney who had a salon and he ended up being my 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 master. He really taught me uh, classical hairdressing, like blow drying, volume hair. And I I just loved it. And then to really fast forward from here, he he was p- retiring and I thought, you know what, I'm, my brain was starting to think how I was 
you know, back in my, um, let's say, trouble days, I was getting very entrepreneurial, like, okay, how do I make money, right? So I remember, <laughs> I remember looking... into that way too much. <laughs> yeah, I know. You probably should because you're either, you're either going to be a very good drug dealer or you're going to be a great entrepreneur. That's usually the pathway yeah, you yeah. see a lot of these people going. So I started figuring out, well, how do you make money from, from this industry? I could see that we, I was working in a salon that had clients coming in like once or twice a week for a blow dry, but all the other salons weren't. And I'm like, look at the cash flow that comes in from this. So it started making me think, well, why don't we not build a membership-based program for the hairdressing industry so women would just pay a monthly fee and just come in unlimited? And this is going, remember, this is going back before memberships even really existed. You didn't even have a gym membership back then. There was only golf memberships. And I kind of took it from golf because I liked playing golf. And I was like, well, how, do golf come, how does a golf club stay alive? And, and they're always empty, right? You're always looking golf and you're like, well, where is everyone? But the membership is what kept it alive, right? And I thought, oh, wow. And I did the numbers and I thought, this actually stacks up. So fast forward a little bit. Um, I actually, um, I left that salon at about 17. I won an award, which was the Weller Young Hairdresser of the Year Award, um, which was pretty cool. They gave me a ticket to Europe. And I still remember as soon as I got this award, I was like, that's it. I'm never coming back. So I went to Europe, you know, went to London. I, I was very disappointed, to be honest, in London. I was like, God, the hairdressing to me was so boring. Like many people say, oh, London's great. I'm like, but to classical hairdressers, you're like, but the client never comes back. Yeah. Wait a second, because I'm used to the Italian way of hairdressing where you want to do someone's hair, but they come back every week to be maintained. Where in London, it's like I do this beautiful cut, like a, a Vidal Sassoon. Everyone's like, Vidal Sassoon. I'm like, Vidal Sassoon sucks, man. Like he does a haircut. The client goes home and never comes back for 10 weeks. Uh, as the Italian, I'm eh, kicka. So why I look at this as shit? You know, like <laughs> uh, I want the client to come back every week. Yeah. <laughs> so I actually was, I was very negative to this like modern style of hairdressing, like straightening. And I'm like, why would you want the client to do what we do? <laughs> That's stupid. <laughs> you know? So anyway, I started realizing at this time in Europe, I'm like, there's a gap in the market. So came back to Australia, built this salon. I was 19 years old. And uh, this salon was in Surrey Hills and it was the unlimited service hair program called the Danny Boy, uh, uh, the Danny Boy program. And basically our clients paid a monthly membership and then they could just come in unlimited. Uh, we grew it very quickly. Uh, we were a million dollar hair salon in under a year. Uh, this is back in nine, 2001. Yeah, so, wow. yeah, it was an amazing thing and clients loved it because they're like, we even added pedicures and manicures to the program. So you just paid your $300 a month, I think back then it was. So today that would be about six or $700 a month. And then you just have unlimited service. Don't, I didn't want the, I never wanted the client to think about money. I just wanted them to have the greatest experience that you could possibly give a person. Cause that's what I, that's what I experienced in Italy. I just saw women coming out going, my hair's so beautiful. I'll see you next Tuesday again. And you're like, see you next Tuesday. What a beautiful way to do work right? You're not yeah. saying goodbye and I hope you come back in 10 weeks, you know? Uh, it's it's so, it was so great. So we did that for two years. I ended up um, having some, um, uh, I had some people in the Netherlands reach out to me who I knew who owned a lot of salons and they wanted to actually acquire the concept. So I actually flew off to the Netherlands. Uh, what was meant to be a two-week trip ended up being the next decade of my life. <laughs> so I ended up living there for a decade. Um, that's where I met Evelina, my partner, Evelina brought me into this world of sustainability because I met her at old school way at a party in a kitchen. And uh, we talked all night about like, you know, she was from the fashion industry and studying sustainability. And I was telling her about my hairdressing career. And then we started 
thinking like, well, how can we fix the hairdressing industry? And I still remember the next day going back to the hair salon going, where does all the hair go? Where does all the metal go? Where does all the plastic go? Why does nobody care about all these materials? Like, this is our future. Like, do we just dump it? Like, I just assumed someone took care of it, but then you quickly realised no one was. Mm. It was just all being dumped. And I thought, this is horrible. So to fast forward a little bit further there, um, I brought Evelina back to Australia. Well, she wanted to come and see Australia. Dangerous move because she's from Belgium. And I think we landed here for about two weeks and she's like, never send me back to Europe. <laughs> she's like, I love <laughs> this country. I'm like, oh, my God, okay. And um, really from there we started really experimenting on what what type of business do we want to build together? And that's how Sustainable Salons. So we wrote the business plan for Sustainable Salons in 2008, um, um, but we didn't have any money to execute it. It was too expensive. Um, so we had to really fart, we had to think of how do we build something that could get us off the ground to then build Sustainable Salons. And that's when we realised, why don't we build a foil company that produces one roll of foil that's made from recycled aluminium that has this cool um, first, you know, because we were the first people in the world to make recycled foil made from recycled aluminium, which was, I remember back then, everyone's like, this is impossible. You can't do it. I'm like, it's aluminium. <laughs> like, it's the most recyclable metal on the planet. <laughs> you know, it's not that hard. But anyway, um, we made the foil. Um, we executed it. Uh, it became the biggest selling foil in the in the first three years of launch, built up enough revenue. And then, and then we launched sustainable salons in about 2014. Um, uh, and just and sustainable salons really just took off from there because it was it was what sustainable salons was was really a product that was really tapping into um, the the current value set of what people cared about, but we knew where sustainability was going because we were we've been living and breathing it now for nearly a, you know the last seven eight years we could already see the trajectory of what's happening in sustainability and we we thought yeah look if we're going to bet our money on something I think sustainability in the next ten years is going to be a huge thing and of course it is um, because it, it, it's not it's not a hype word sustainability it's not like organic or natural or clean these words they're more like hype words and they don't really have a, a, a direct meaning to it it's just a hype but sustainability actually is a baseline of actually what we need to achieve to actually make it work and that that when you get that right because you focus on the people planet profit of sustainability it's really a success formula for the future so you anybody who adds sustainability to their brand today it's a success formula because it's it's tapping into the needs of their customer if they care about this yeah so recently uh sustainable salons has undergone what would you call it like a, a revamp a makeover rebrand rebrand okay talk, talk us through that yeah. So for the first nearly eight years of Sustainable Salons, our core mission has been making salon waste history. We've achieved that. So what does that mean? We've Anyone in the industry probably now knows who we are. They know our name. They know what we represent. Um, we've, we've recycled. We've had over 1.8 million kilos of material come through our depots now. We're, we're making history. No one has achieved what we've achieved in, 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 in dealing with this kind of problem, right? So then we realised, wait a second, are we still talking to hairdressers now? Because what we're seeing in our data, because we track a lot of data, it's the consumers. So we have this massive amount of consumers. And I'll give you an example. We had about 140,000 consumers come through our website last year. Um, over 88,000 of them went to our directory. 46,000 of them clicked our book now button to our salons. Um, so we're realizing, and we're not spending any money in marketing, right? Yeah. We're like, 
oh my God, we're actually talking direct to consumer. The salons just don't even know this. And we're our, our website doesn't even talk to consumer. They talk to hairdressers. So we've had to realize we've got to go through a whole rebrand because salons know who we are. They call us now. They're like ready to go. It's not, it, it, we don't have to sell ourselves, but for a consumer, they need a great customer experience to now want to go to a sustainable salon. So we've now rebranded to actually suit that customer experience. So when you go to our website now, it goes straight to the consumer. Uh, how do you find your local sustainable salon? Why should you visit them? You know, because they're, they're representing your local values, you know, their they're local jobs, local community, um, driving, charity work, all these things that we do. And that's why we had to rebrand. So today we're, we're essentially like a B2C, but our core customer who pays us, of course, is the salon. But again, it, we don't need to speak to them directly now. We have to talk direct to consumer. Yeah, that's a, like an amazing shift and you kind of just discovered that organically. Yeah, uh, it, it, you could say about three years ago we could feel stuff was happening through some of our data. We weren't looking at it and then we're like, I think <laughs> talking about Hayley because Hayley was our marketing manager, yeah. Hayley Miller, and uh, at the time, and, and she's like, you know, we're having about a 1,000 clicks a week on our book now buttons and she's just looking at some data and she's like, I'm not doing anything. Like we're not spending not a one cent in Facebook to target any of that. And then we're like, let's start pointing at it and just start seeing what's happening. So we wanted to know who they were, why, you know, dig into who these people were. And and then we realised they're just consumers. <laughs> Actually, they're people that care about the future. And I'll give you just one example. One of the most unique metrics we found is so many mums are doing this, are supporting a local sustainable salon for their kids. They're saying to us, I want to be on the right side of history for my children. And I, a lot of people we interviewed, they were like, I think I won't, it wasn't that I didn't care about sustainability. So try to picture a 38 to 40-year-old mum. She, 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 she was brought up like us. She never really had to focus in sustainability. But all of a sudden in the last five years, it's been pushed on her. Now her kids are coming home from school saying, mum, why don't you recycle? Mum, you suck. You know, you're not doing yeah. this right. And you're like, oh, okay, well, shit. Well, well, that doesn't matter. Just who cares? Put it in the red bin and who cares? And after a while, they're like, I think I do care. Actually, I want to be on the same page with my children. Actually, I want to be on the right side of history when I die. Right? And that has finally kicked in. And the war on waste and all those movies, all those shows now is like, you know what? It's this little effort I can do that not only shows my kids that I connect with them, but actually it makes me feel better. So that's unique. And that's where we found actually this is who's looking for us. And hey, can I say this? Sorry, I could ramble on, but would, would people who say, oh, I don't do that, but you're doing it for things that matter to you. For example, like someone said, oh, I, I wouldn't do that because I wouldn't Google a sustainable salon. But you, I said, when you go to the, sh do you care about the food you eat? Yeah. Do you look at the packaging? Oh, always. Yeah. Oh, I always like to know it's made here. I always like to know is it. I said, you're doing it, see, to that product. You don't realise, but they're targeting you. <laughs> you know, well, it's it's just things that matter to you. It's really interesting. Um, a couple of years ago, I had a really big haircut. So it's probably gone from like waist length up to shoulder length. And I've kept the ponytails and I've, I've bought them home so that I can send them to you guys, right? Yes. And my daughter was like, I can't. So you, those are your ponytails and where are you sending them? And I said, well, I'm sending them to sustainable salons. And what they're going to do is they're going to make a wig out of this hair. So now she's on this mission just because she wants to like grow it so she can cut it and donate it. Um, but yeah, it's it's really cute. And she's like, and when I see all of the girls at school that have big haircuts, I just I say to them, have you donated your hair? 
and she she's really empowered and wants to make sure that everyone is donating their hair. So I think isn't it amazing the ESC. ripple effect? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And what that's doing is it's 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 peer to peer referrals. Now you know when you get into it, you're like, it's not us. Now that's why it's so powerful because we don't have to sell it; they're selling it. And I hear these kids stories all the time, and I'm just like blown away. Where I'm like, you're doing what? Like, yeah, I'm telling all those girls in school to do this. You're like, oh my god. We had a girl the other day; she raised sixty five thousand dollars. What? I was just like, my jaw was on the floor, and I'm like, God, what? And we we hear all these stories all the time because we partner, uh, you know, we work with um, Cancer Council, World's Greatest Shaper, all the people that, you know, well, we've kind of kickstarted them all in this huge hair cutting journey. So they're all like shaving heads now and and ponytails, which is awesome. Um, But they just can't believe that just how much kids and mums are getting involved now because it matters. And can I tell you just how much those ponytails matter? So. You, you have no idea, prior to sustainable salons, there was such a lack of, of hair coming through the stream that it, it, it really, like, for example, with alopecia in Australia, you need about 4,000 high-quality ponytails to come through the stream to, to fill up the, the wigs. You know, most m- m- back then, probably less than maybe a few hundred quality ponytails would come through. And I'll tell you a, a, an interesting one here. If you go talk to most hairdressers, go back, even now, it's like, how many ponytails have you sent in in your 20-year career of hairdressing? None. That's what they all say. Why would I? And you're like, yeah, why would you? You've never been educated. You've never been told of the problem. I never sent any in. I did hairdressing for 20-odd years. I never thought of a ponytail, but I cut thousands of people's long hair into bobs. Yeah. You know, just never recognised it. So because we educated this whole market now, we don't just – now supply enough hair for all wigs in the country. We supply uh, enough hair literally to fill up uh, a huge portion of now the world's market. We collected over 250,000 ponytails now in the last in the last eight years. We're now the world's largest donor of hair to the medical wig market, and it's all coming out of Australia and New Zealand. Oh, that's amazing, Paul. You guys should be so proud of what you've achieved. Yeah, we are. We tell the guys all the time, like, guys, we're, we're really filling up a gap here that's needed to be fixed because I don't know if you know in the wig game, the only reason this all collapsed, it was because of, uh, I called the Paris Hilton problem back in 2000 and it's not really Paris Hilton, but when she launched, when kind of she launched hair extensions and, and hair extensions became this huge thing. All the quality hair that used to go to wigs went to hair extensions and, and all the hair extension people were like, well, wait a second, the cost of a wig just went from 2000 to 10,000 to nearly 18,000. And half the cost was the hair because they couldn't get their hands on quality hair because girls who just wanted long hair for hair extensions were willing to spend three times as much. And and hair just went out of control. It's a it's a crazy space, the hair extension space. Uh, sorry, the hair, like I call the wig space, hair extension, and how they get all the hair to, to provide these markets. Oh, every time there's a new documentary about it, I'm like in. I, I'm fascinated uh-huh. by the whole process. Well, the best one I have to say, you have to always start with the Chris Rock one. Uh, it's called Good Hair Day. And that one, it, it, you're just going to crack up the whole way through it. Okay. Chris Rock, he nails this. He's, he goes through America talking to black women and their wefts and wigs. And he's like, what the hell's going on in this town? Just the way he does it, it's so good. So one of the questions I wanted to ask you, and it's something that I've noticed and observed, and I've talked about it in so many of the podcast episodes that we've done recently, is there's been this kind of shift within our industry 
um, across a couple of different spectrums. So I think there's been a shift in our, our business structures and the foundations in which businesses operate. Um, the economic line, I guess, or, or the flow on of what's happening globally um, in terms of, you know, import, export and cost of living, all of that kind of stuff. But then there's also been a cultural shift in our industry where, you know, the traditional working model of a hairdresser does not exist anymore. And the future is kind of carving it out to be a little bit more um, fluid, adaptable, work-life balance, all of that kind of stuff. So with all of that happening at the same time, and I don't think our industry's ever really had that kind of shake-up before, um, what do you see happening from your point of view? Yeah, and and this is, uh, we hear this all the time, right? Because, and 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 I, I have... I'll try to break this down so it's um, understandable as well because really from the way I like to approach things is I don't like to get caught up in the hype. I like to go to the data because what does the data actually say? So let's answer that first question. Like like if everyone asks me, oh, we're, we're all collapsing and the industry's collapsing and this and that. I'm like, the industry's doing better than ever. Actually, we've never had a rise like we've ever seen financially in our industry. And I was just looking at some of this data recently um, where the industry is actually making more money than ever. Um, people have put their prices up uh, better than ever. Uh, it's literally gone up for the first time by like 25%, 30%. Like it's it's so dramatic. It's Of course, I get it for the consumer. They're like, what? My haircut's what? 300 bucks now? It's like, no, no, I get it. Everyone's freaking out. But actually, we're valuing ourselves now. So what that means is, is you're actually getting more revenue now coming into your business for less work because you can have less clients coming in, but you're making more money, right? And I know it feels different. And I always say to people, just go back and look at your numbers because you've probably got now less staff, but you're making more revenue. It just feels like it is because the industry and game is changing. And that's true. Um, and, and flexibility is starting to come into play. So the big questions are now is, do you actually need this big salon anymore? Do you need that square footage that you once had? Because you're paying all this extra money for a world that doesn't exist anymore. So you've got to start to think, well, wait a second, I need to adapt to what is my current work life now. Um, is it probably going to be not having eight staff, it's three staff? Well, you probably don't still need the same salon size. So you should start to really think about downsizing so you can maximise your profit. So so coming back to that question again, again, so the industry is actually doing quite well. It's actually kicking ass. Um, people say, but, oh, the salons are closing everywhere. But I say, yeah, but have you seen how many are coming in every day? So, yes, they're closing because they maybe haven't had a good, their business model hasn't been able to adapt or pivot. But the amount of people that are leaving salons to start salons is 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 huge. It's it, they're just micro salons now, and they're a very different type of person. So if you go to the US model, over fifty percent of the workers in the US don't work in hair salons. They're just hybrid workers now that work everywhere in suites and homes and this and that. They're this individual hairdresser. We've never seen that before. If you come from my vintage and you you did your apprenticeship in the nineties, yeah, well, this is we're used to salons of thirty staff. Yeah. You know. And if you're still, because most of the people that I hear complaints from, they're from that world. You don't hear it coming from this new world because they're like, no, this is awesome. Like, I'm so flexible. I'm actually making two grand a week. And you're like, you make two grand a week? How old are you? 24? What do you do? Oh, I don't even cut. What? What do you do? Oh, I just do belly arch. And then you look at the Instagram and you're like, God, you do good belly arch. But you can't cut. You can't blow dry. You can't. Like, that would have never cut the mustard back in our day, right? That would have been like, Look, great, you can do one thing, but I need someone who does everything. So th there's just a real change in the industry. But I don't think, and, and I always like to put the pulse check also out to industry saying, 
I don't think anyone out there, because people say, oh, we need more staff, we need more people in the industry. And I'm like, uh-uh, actually the complete opposite needs to happen. We need far less people coming into the industry so your value proposition rises. Because if you look at it from this perspective, people today can't not find a hairdresser, any of them. That, so that answers the question. There's no lack of demand. Like, there's no lack of supply, right? There's, there's, it's plenty of hairdressers. There's actually too many of us in this space. And that's why you're, if there's less of us here, well, we become a hell of a lot more valuable. So if you go look at most sparkies or plumbers, you know how hard it is to find a plumber sometimes or hard it is? So the cost goes up and up and up because it's like you, by the time you get to one, you're like, I'll pay whatever. <laughs> it's like, just turn, just turn up. Yeah. That's where we want to be. You know, and I know that sounds weird, but I am trying to shift people to thinking the data doesn't lie. And right now, it's just a personal feeling that's running through us all. And I totally get it. Some businesses are struggling. Um, but but overall, it's looking actually really good. Our industry is extremely strong. Uh, it's not going anywhere. We're not being attacked by AI. So I said to anyone, if you go look at most university jobs, all their jobs are getting taken by AI. The next millionaires are all going to come from TAFE. So if you've got a TAFE job right now, you're in the sweet spot because no AI is going to affect your job probably for the next at least 10 years. Yeah. Um, so hairdressing, I would say just, yeah, just adapt. How much do you think the media has kind of played into the narrative there? Yeah, it's huge. And and it's not so much our media. Our, our, our in, industry media is kind of fine. We're still pushing very um, good message. I think our internal media could change a little bit to focus a little bit more on the future rather than the past. We've still got a very traditional model of win awards and that's what makes you special. And then you go up to be like, you know, a better hairdresser. I don't think that that's not connecting to the young kids anymore. They're very Instagram, they're TikTok, they're moving in a different way. And I think we should adapt to that. Um, and, 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 and that's also how that's your CV now is, you know, what does your portfolio look like? And actually how much money do you make? That's what impresses us. That's what they want to talk about, especially the youth. It's about money, money, money now. And I'm like, great, that's a good question. Because back when I was being a hairdresser, we just knew we got paid crap. <laughs> we knew we were probably going to get paid crap for the next 10 years, but we just loved our job. We were very different back then. Um, but the, if you talk about the media from, from a national media, like our ABC, Channel 7, all that, oh, look, the media just, remember, they're a business. I tell everyone, they're just a business trying to get your viewership. And you know what sells? Bad news. Yeah. Yeah, you're, so you're remember, they're gonna—they're just gonna drive bad news to you. So I say to someone, people like me, I never look at that media because that's not real data. The data they're working off is just their data to get your eyeballs. So stop looking at that news. Stop looking at any news and start getting focused on what matters to you and your life and your journey, and and really stay focused on that. Well, I think you touched on something that I want to expand on for just a second. You're saying that, you know, the young generation, they don't care about the stuff that's classically been all of the KPIs that us hairdressers have known that make it successful, right? So, for example, like back in my day, which is really similar vintage to when you did your apprenticeship, we're only a few years apart there. Um, you, you know, entering awards was just everything. And the, yeah. only, the only way you could possibly be successful and have a profile is to enter and to win. Um, and, it, and it was kind of like each year would go by and all you'd be doing is working towards the next year's awards and then the next year's, and it just completely consumed you. And there was so much importance based on that. Whereas I look at the industry now, and while there's so many people producing incredible collections and great photographic shoots. It's not necessarily the KPI that we look to to measure success. 
because yeah, it, just we've moved on, but the the old guard of hairdressing hasn't, and we're struggling to adapt. And and it's hard. I get it because we got business models that were once successful. We're like, oh, I've just got to keep pushing at this business model. It might come back. And I'm like, maybe, maybe not. I don't. I don't think so. I think it might come back. Things do go full circle sometimes. I think awards will come back, but they'll come back probably differently. Um, I just think it's just a great opportunity to to actually do a bit of a customer journey with the next generation. The way I would approach it is, well, let's go on a bit of a customer journey, right? And and like, okay, you came into hairdressing, why? Um, when you came out of your apprenticeship, what what happened? Why? And really get to the why of all these things. And from what we're seeing and the data that we follow is that, um, look, sustainability matters to them so much that we're seeing petitions being done in salons. Like I've got a vintage salon owners who have 15 staff and they call me up and they're like, what the hell's with everyone wanting sustainable salons? And I'm like, what do you mean? And they're like, all my staff are just battering me about sustainable salons. And I'm like, I don't know. It matters to them. They care about the future. Don't, well, you don't have to do it. I don't want you. They're like, I'm being forced to do it. I'm like, no, you're not. Like, And some of them have gone so serious. They're like, I'm not doing it. And you know what's happened? The staff all leave. Yeah. And we get angry bosses sometimes calling us saying they left and this. And I'm like, why don't you care about their future and what matters to them? This is not just about you anymore. In traditional salon world, you got to be the boss, the big huncho that cracked the whip. Today, you've got to build a community, a culture. And a culture is about understanding their values and what matters to them. So if they do care, you might want to just listen to them. And you know what? Maybe your clients, this matters to them too. And I always tell people, like, you really should stop and sometimes ask, yeah, what is it I'm trying to build? And especially if you're trying to build a, a 10 plus staff, well, culture matters today. It's really important. And and I helped a, a, a friend of mine in Canberra who was like, I can't attract staff anymore. And I said, well, you just got to think about it maybe differently. And have you ever, I said to her, because she's like, there's no staff. And I said, I bet you I could find you two staff within a 10 kilometer radius. And she couldn't believe what I said. And I said, all right, what? I said, I want you to go do a Google search of who's the home hairdressers in your area, right? She did. I said, I want you to take them. I want you to take five of them out for lunch and just say, I'm not here to employ you. I just want to ask you questions of how I can't attract you anymore to work in my salon. I just want to talk to you and give you a free lunch. And she says, I couldn't believe it. Had these lunches. We're all besties, you know, now because they couldn't believe that I reached out and now two of them work for me. Um, uh, and, and she says all I had to do was actually create flexibility because they were mums. They Most of them got pushed out of the salon because the boss didn't understand they wanted to have a baby. And that's a pretty common thing we always hear. And then on top of that, like they just wanted flexibility in their work life so they could adapt to their kids, especially for school and things like that, that they could, you know, not work five days but work four days and things like that. So it was really, she says, I can't believe I just, I was advertising for a, a 90s hairdresser. And that's yeah. what still people I see today. You're advertising for this person that who wants to work that way anymore? Given that there has been, you know, a shift from the, the classic salon model to people kind of, you know, working in more sweet spaces or independent hairdressers, how have you guys had to change your offering to accommodate that? Oh, it's a really good question. So we we had to figure out, um, so originally when we started Sustainable Sounds, we had to build a model that could service um, pretty big salons, right? Um, but that they've decreased a lot over the time. So the salon of 20 staff is now 10 staff. If you're 10 staff, you're number five. 
Um, so we had to figure out, uh, first of all, how do we service this smaller account? Um, because again, as accounts get smaller, you have to adapt a lot because you, you know, they need a lot more energy and time uh, versus a big salon that's more sophisticated and has a lot of, um, look, has a lot more staff to take on a lot more responsibilities, let's say. Um, and on top of that, we also had to figure out a model how to reach further people. So if you're in Cairns or in, in Outback Australia or just regional. Um, so we developed uh, what we call our on-demand link program. So we adapted to this. Uh, it's an on-demand service now. So you can sign up to us in the middle of the Outback. We can actually digitally sign you up now yeah. through, our whole, through our whole program. And basically uh, you, you, the bins get sent out to you. You do your education like this now. Um, which this during COVID has now become normal, right? We just talk on videos. People love it. And um, and then we actually have these bags that you fill up. It took us about two years in R&D to, to develop this bag. Um, and now you fill it up and it gets beeped. Courier picks it up, shoots it back to our depot and off you go. So we're actually got a whole program uh, servicing over seven, 800 salons now in regional Australia um, that, yeah, it's great because we're the funny enough we're the first recycler in 22 towns of australia right now wow completely you know, you know, outside, outside like of... wagga wagga never had recycling before us now the first recycling is it a hair salon in wagga <laughs> you know like it's so funny when you find out are we the first recycling so people hear about it in the local news and they start wanting to take their recyclables to the local salon <laughs> like no like we're not your business we're not taking just everyone's stuff it's just the salon I mean, but that gives you an amazing opportunity to scale. I mean, you know, you could be looking after hospitality and all of those regional areas. It could, but it's a different way stream and needs a different way of thinking. And to be honest, we're very targeted at understanding the salon waste stream um, because everyone says that to us. Go, and we get hundreds of phone calls from hospitals and tattooers and cafes and take our stuff too, come on. And you're like, we don't take organics. We can't take this they can't like you know medical waste this they're very complex and they come with very different regulations and yeah we we just can't step into everything but i encourage others to go out and do it geez um yeah and they are there's many companies starting to figure out how to service their industries so after having such a really long career that's been kind of varied and you've, you've kind of talked us through all of the different touch points that have existed over your career mm. who are the heroes who are the people that you've worked with throughout uh, the tenure of your career that have really impacted you, you know, made you who you are, given you these values and continue to inspire you? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, core heroes of mine will probably go back to like like grandfather because he was a very, um, we grew up on a farm at Endural where he taught us the value of a dollar. Yeah. So we we had to grow up from a very young age working on a farm and, you know, he would say, oh, you need to buy a car. Hey, how many roses, because we grew roses, how many roses do you need to sell uh, to buy your car? 8,000 roses. So he would send us on the street like gypsies to sell roses to make money. And, and you hated it at first, but what you quickly learned in week one of selling roses is how to communicate, how to talk, how to sell. You quickly learn the basic fundamentals of life. So yeah. if you get that out of the way, you learn how to smile. So everyone's like, you're always smiling. I'm like, no, because I've had to smile from a very young age to sell roses. <laughs> you know, so that's why I'm always smiling because I feel like I'm always selling roses. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, that definitely a big hero. And then after that, I, I, to be honest, um, I get very much inspired a lot outside of industry. I didn't get a lot of inspiration inside of industry. Um, and the reason why 
I, I had a little moments with people like, of course, you had the Soons and and then I, you know, you had your um, Muscolos and that. I looked at that, but but when I look back, I'm like, they didn't really influence me or, or change me in any way. I was just kind of following what others were following at the time uh, because I was more very intrigued by by how how to create great customer journeys and experiences and business models to match. So I was well outside the industry. So to give you one example of that like um i was very inspired very early on by like people like elon musk right i've been following him since since zip two days and when i was watching how he was solving such unique problems that no one could see everyone bagged him out hated it shorted his stock i was yeah. one of those people like trying to th give him an extra 500 dollars and i survive you're going to build this company that's going to change the whole automotive industry like i couldn't wait and i just had to see that come to life so i was inspired by people like that um and today yeah there's quite a few people in in tech that inspire me a lot because they they especially silicon valley it's all about customer journey they're solving a problem so i'm a problem solver uh, at heart and um and sustainability for me when it comes to people in sustainability that really influenced me is my partner evelina um yeah. there's no question of a doubt she's, she's my biggest hero i think she's um yeah. she, she quietly toils away behind the scenes and you know she doesn't yeah necessarily I don't think she feels comfortable being the face of the brand but she is such an incredible asset and I think everyone um, that knows you should have the opportunity to meet Evelina. Oh totally and I think everyone you do she's not shy when she talks to you and she'll like everyone's like oh she'll never speak I'm like Evelina talks a lot she just she has no interest in in just being at the front she's an operator yeah. um when we do our PI index like she's very much the craftsman she knows behind the scenes she knows how to connect dots and and make them work so she likes, that's where she gets her a, a lot of satisfaction. And uh, it definitely, she's changed my life, especially when it came to why we should be building brands today that are basically saving our planet and saving our future generations. It's interesting that you were talking about um, the entrepreneurs that have really rattled the industries and, and made a lot of changes. And there's one TV series that I've seen fairly recently that I'd recommend to everyone. And it's super pumped. It's the Uber story. Have you seen it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I know his story very well. Yeah. And I just think, you know, like outside of our industry, if we can just take from those entrepreneurs and look at the way that they have a brand new lens on something. And I think we think that that won't apply to us because we're in this little bubble that exists. It's a very small world and, and it's beauty and it's retail. But if we just think that little bit broader and I get so much inspo from uh, Super Pumped was a great one. Uh, we Crashed was another fantastic oh. series. I, I mean, yeah. I could talk about those all day. And look at how people just like, oh, those concepts will never work. They'll never do this. I've got I've got 20 staff in WeWork now nearly every day, you know. Like yeah. we love WeWork. And, and, and do we think of it as our office? No, it's a hangout. We just turn up with a computer. We hang out. We work. We leave. It's it's just a place to hang. Um, what is work today, you know? Is it meant to be in an office? Yeah, I just love that they had that 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 foresight and could be 10 years ahead to and, and double down on that investment and say no this is the future and that's where i i always encourage when i talk at universities now because i'm talking to a lot of next generation people in the circular economy mainly uh, and so forth is is how to think big you know because they're on the right path it's just they're not thinking big enough i'm like no no, no you're thinking too small like I, I think you should be thinking much bigger much more ambitious and i think us as a country could also really try to kickstart that a lot for them too as a government because in America they really have a great nurturing model for big thinking 
where we we're very conservative and we're like, no, don't think too big. And, you know, we have the tall poppy syndrome, get too big. We hate you. And it's like, oh, come on, you have great minds here. They just got to, they've got to be allowed to express that. What you were just saying about the WeWork and how you have 20 staff in the WeWork. Years ago, um, I worked at one called Whatso and I'd always work from home, but I just miss people. I didn't really want to talk to them, hang hang out with them. But I just wanted the atmosphere of me working around and people buzzing around me. And there was this girl that um, would share the set of desks that I was on and I got chatting to her and she um, she was developing a sugar-free range, like food range, and it was called No Shoe. And I remember at the time she was telling me about this brand that she was going to build and, you know, she was kind of sharing some pretty scary stories about, you know, what she was going through. And I was like, oh, God, I'd never want to be in her position. Like it must be so scary, you know, to have so much money invested in this concept and not long ago, I opened, I think it was Sydney Morning Herald, and the headline was No Shoe, $4 billion industry. And I'm like, oh. wow. So not her particular brand, which is No Shoe. And so if you you know, are avoiding sugar snacks like I do frequently, you'll know it quite well. It's everywhere in the supermarket. Um, but yeah. that particular industry from when she first entered is now a $4 billion enterprise in Australia. And I'm like, how lucky am I to have, you know, had that opportunity to just think outside the box and get experience to that. And it was all from a, a WeWork whatso situation. Yeah. Our staff getting, everything you just said is literally everything our staff say. It's like, we don't need to go there. We're actually very happy at home. We just like to go there. And I say uh, to our team as well, like what you should expect now with WeWork, it's really just a place to um, connect, feel human again. It's, it's like if you're going there to do emails, well, that was not the right thing. So our team leads will say, they bring their team in to say, this is a day where we're doing creative stuff, not here to work. Yeah. Like we come here, we sit around a table, we bounce ideas, the whiteboards are up, we've got all that stuff happening. But going home to do all the work, right, because that's where you're in your quiet space, you can focus, you don't have all the distractions. And that's why that that model is working really well. And hairdressing is adapting to that also very aggressively um, right now as well. Because uh, for everyone who used to say, oh, home hairdressers this and home hairdressers that, I'm like, all of you did home hairdressing at home and don't lie. Um, <laughs> first of all, and we probably still do it, even though you even own a hair salon, you're still doing home hairdressing. <laughs> you know, it's like home hairdressing has just been a way of our life. We've just never talked about it. And I say to hairdressers today, you can actually get very adapted to this too. I actually know of a salon that now employs where you can actually work hybrid within the salon and at home. Yeah, right. Okay, that's really interesting. Why not? Yeah. And it all runs through his timely software so that he controls the bookings, the places and all that. So the bookings still happen through him, all the money still comes through him, but the workers, yeah, you go work from home. So you can take a client's booking, but you say, look, but I work from home that day, so come and meet me at home. Um, I work from here. Actually, I work over there. Actually, I work in Melbourne. It doesn't matter. Yeah, it's it's amazing. Yeah, so I'm like, I, I say to people, especially if you're trying to be the next generation of, you know, you see the Edwards and Co's now that are just kicking ass, right? They're attracting the right people. Um, you've got you've got Salon Lane and Freedom Suites. They're attracting another generation. Like they're just flying ahead now because it's it's really in vogue what what's happening with that next generation of what they want to do and be and and move. And and they're not there forever. Like I just saw a good friend of ours, uh, Michael Kelly, worked at Salon Lane with Edwards & Co. to Salon Lane to now opening Salon Her. What a great journey. Yeah. Like, perfect. That's exactly what the next generation are visualising, going, oh, I get it. I get it. And now it's just a new journey. So I say to old boss owners, don't, don't, 
don't think you can just hold on to them forever. Forever, like they might be on a journey now, and you just got to have a great um, funnel of next generation people wanting to come and work with you. And what's your value proposition? Like, do you have one? If it's just like, oh, we do awards, well, I'm like, that might not be enough. Like today, they're like, well, do you have a sustainability plan? Um, do you have a flexibility plan? I might want to have a baby plan. You know, what's I always say, to them, what's your baby plan? We only, you know, we're 80% women. If you don't have a baby plan, like, you know, we just had a little baby girl, so I'm like all over baby plans at the moment. Um, but uh, yeah, you're probably, you're probably behind the eight ball right now. Yeah. My final question, just as we wrap up, because I know we're kind of getting to that time, is where do you see, I guess, sustainability, not just necessarily in the hairdressing space, but, you know, globally, where do you see it heading over the next five years? Have you got any hot tips of, you know, what we should be looking out for, new innovation that's coming or anything that you've just kind of observed? Yeah, it's a really good question. So I I, I speak a lot about this today because I'm embedded in the future. <laughs> you know, everyone knows I'm about yeah. 10, 20 years ahead. Um, uh, first of all, it's not going anywhere. You can't stop what's happening now. And I'll tell you that the simple truth is, especially when it comes to climate change, if we go to kind of like the holy grail of sustainability, because this we can't get this wrong. And I say to someone, try to imagine you're sitting in a car, you've just put the exhaust pipe inside your car, all the windows are shut. How long can you breathe for? Uh, we're a limited time. And that's what's happening to the planet right now. We're on limited time. Um, and, and we're just pumping that carbon into the air, thinking, oh, this is all going to disappear soon and we're going to be fine. No, you're pretty much going to choke and die. And your kids, uh, within about a genera uh, two generations from today, we're, they're going to look back on us and be absolutely disgusted at what we just did to them. Yeah, you might be a generation that's not fully affected. You're going to feel the effects of maybe fires and floods and so forth. But future generations, they won't even have a choice. So when you're given no choice, it's amazing how adaptable you become. So what I'm trying to get at here is sustainability is going nowhere. We just have to adapt and how fast we can adapt is the game now. So it's I say to any industry, if you're not already pivoting your company to being a sustainable first organization, whether you're a color company, um, hair care, whatever, straightening irons, whatever, like you're already behind the eight ball. Yeah. because there's someone probably building it right now and it's only a matter of time before they enter the market and you're going to watch a whole generation pivot. Just like we saw with Tesla, you're going to see the whole car. Who would have thought the whole car industry would have to pivot? It pivoted. So and you know you why? Because everybody just said, you know what, I'm betting on Tesla. And all of a sudden Tesla was the, like, they weren't even on the map as being having any money to now being more valuable than every car company combined. That's that's what's happening. And you know who betted on them? Me, the future, people that care about the future. So as a mum now, and if you're looking for sustainable product, if you're caring about your community and the jobs in your community and your children, if you're caring about all those things, well, you're actually voting with your dollar right now in your community. It's already moving. Look at cafes. And one last one, I said to someone, go look at a cafe. If you walk down the street now and you wake up like, Let's say you wake up from a holiday and you're about to hit the street. You want to get your first coffee. You're, you're, you're looking for the best looking cafes, right? Because you're looking for all the sustainability things that matter to you. You're doing it with your phone now because you're looking for the organic eggs. You're looking for the coffee that tastes the greatest. If you've still got a 90s coffee shop, don't you find it funny when you look at them? You're like, wow, you've still got the bacon egg roll for, for eight bucks with a coffee. Yeah. And no one in there. It's It's the cheapest. It's not cheap anymore that people are looking for. It's quality and sustainability that they're actually looking for. So all I can say now is just 
get on the bandwagon. And if you don't get what sustainability means yet, I would say, don't do your research. I don't want to try to sell it to you. Go out there and understand it because it's not it's not a quick fix. You can't just say, um, I recycle, I'm sustainable. That's not it. Sustainability yeah. is about people, planet and profit. It's caring about the local community, the planet we live in and the profits we make for the future. And it's combining all three of those. It's, it's the secret sauce. Uh, this is not just a recycling war. You know, we've got to solve actually buy recycled, manufacturing those products locally, bringing jobs back to our communities. You know, people, it's jobs in our communities are, are so important today. So I, I encourage when I talk to students is you don't realize by you building something here now is already attracting the next purchaser because it says made in Australia. Do you know how rare that is? That's like, just take my money. I just care. Like, yeah, take it because you're, you're in my community making something. People just want to buy your product now. You've given us so much value in this chat, Paul. So I just want to say thank you very much for joining us. I'm going Pleasure. to put lots of notes um, in the, the show notes of this episode where people can reach you, sustainable salons, and perhaps even get some recommendations from you off air, just to, you know, documentaries that people should watch about sustainability or anything that you think would be of value to the audience. Yeah, awesome. Well, thanks for having me. Thank you so much, Paul. <laughs> See ya. Bye.